Take your Bible tonight, turn to Acts chapter 16. We'll be there in just a few moments. Glad that you're here this evening. I'll tell you what I want to do. Um, we just renewed this series last week, and so um, I rehearsed some context to kind of get us back where we're going. I'm going to do that again tonight. So let's go ahead and stand. I'll read, I'm going to go back to chapter 15, and I'm just looking at this, and um, I think I want to read a few verses here. I have two Bibles, I actually have five Bibles, all the same Bible. Um, I've retired two of them, three of them I think. I have two more, one at home and one here. And I do all my study for Wednesday nights from the Bible at home. And so I do all these scribbles in it and then I come here and I'm like, where was I? And so, but it's the exact same Bible so I should be able to find my place pretty quickly. Um, in Acts 15, Paul had concluded his, his first missionary journey and um, he had come to give a report. And in that report, there were some people who were concerned about the Gentiles being saved, that, that they weren't Jews. And so, um, look at verse 4 of chapter 15 with me, if you would. We'll kind of get some of this context. And when they were come to Jerusalem, this is Paul and Barnabas reporting back now from this first missionary journey, having come from Antioch, reporting to this council of men to discuss this matter of Gentiles being saved. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received the church of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, can you see this is a problem? Because this dispensation of grace had come, and but these Jews who were being saved thought that their Jewish heritage was of such importance that the law of Moses should still be practiced, and that these Gentile converts should get circumcised. And so, uh, verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us the Gentile, that, by, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of gospel and believe. And God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did to us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. In other words, we were saved by the, through, the, through grace by the Holy Spirit, and so were they. In other words, we're all saved. Verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? In other words, why now are you adding law and works to salvation? So, verse 11, here's what he says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. And so, this is the great outcome. Um, right after this, James gets up, says the exact same thing. And so, um, James, who's now the leader of the Church of Jerusalem, Peter says this. So, this has a stamp of approval. For the most part, all these men agree. And so, look with me now. We'll skip over a little bit of this. And look, um, verse 25 of the same chapter. And it seemed good unto us, be assembled with one accord, and this is this church council in Jerusalem now, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And these men have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell the same things by the mouth. And so, this council decided this as well though. So, they don't have to be circumcised, the Jews, but, verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden then these necessary things, that you abstain from the meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves ye shall do well, fare you well. And so, the text says they were dismissed. 
and Paul and Barnabas are super happy about this outcome of the council, and they go back to Antioch, and they uh, minister there for a number of years evidently together. Um, and the Lord pressed upon their heart to go on a second missionary journey, to go back to the church they were at. Uh, last week we discussed this, 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 this disagreement they had about uh, John Mark, and they came to a conclusion, um, Barnabas, you and Mark go this way to Cyprus, the first part of the journey, and I'm going to take Silas, and we're going to go the other half over here into the northern regions of Turkey, Galatia, and we'll minister there. So they seem to come to an amicable conclusion, maintaining their disagreement, but not hurting the cause of Christ. And that takes us to the text. Are you ready? Chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he, Paul and Silas, he to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, this is important information um, because of what is said next. Which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, Timotheus, would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him, Timotheus, because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Okay, now that's really pertinent information. And they knew he was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decree for to keep. What decree are they talking about? The one that the council decided about don't eat meat, uh, you know, have been given to idols, and no fornication. That were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were in Jerusalem, and so were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Lord, I, these stories are amazing, this historical account of, Lord, the advancement of the Gospel. And Lord, there are truths here for us, and these words uh, we read by quickly, but each one has meaning and importance to us. And it explains why things are done. And so I pray you'd help us to take away, Lord, what was done here uh, to Timothy and the reason why it was done as an application to our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. All right, Paul and Silas are now well on their way to what we will call the second missionary journey. Now, the guys, were you able to get that stuff up there for me? The first picture? Okay, put up, this, put up the first missionary journey if you have that one. There you go. Okay, so you guys, just to kind of run this very quickly, you'll see that down here is where things sort of started in Jerusalem. The gospel came there. And then um, because of the persecution that happened in the early church, a, a great persecution, the Christians were kind of scattered to regions, both north, south, and, and west. But majority of the Christian movement moved north to this place called Antioch. And Antioch would be in modern-day Turkey, and this is where the next great church grew. Uh, the, the church at Antioch would rival the church in Jerusalem at time, but this is where they went. And to, from Cyprus there on the left, that's where uh, Barnabas had come from, and he's the one who had uh, told the disciples that, hey, Paul is Saul, who become Paul. Hey, he's safe. I know he persecuted the church. He's a good guy. And so he was an encourager. But they kind of hooked up here in Antioch, and then... Uh, Barnabas took him down to Jerusalem again to meet the disciples, and they were good. They went back north again to Antioch, labored there, and then God called on this mission. And so they went to the port of Seleucia, 
And you can see that right there. That's just a port city uh, beside Antioch. And they began this journey. And so they sail across here, part of the Mediterranean uh, Sea, right next to us, the Aegean Sea. And they sailed into Salamis, and they would kind of work their way across this island nation, preaching the gospel. And they did that. And they headed over then to Perga, which would be um, Turkey today. And they began this journey. And so from Perga up here to the city in Antioch, a different city, there's some mountain ranges there, difficult journey. They went to Iconium and then Lystra and Derby, which is a reason. And then they just really backtracked that and came back. So this was the first journey. They did that and they, they come back almost the exact same way that they, that they went. And remember there in uh, Perga, there's a region called Phrygia there. That's where John Mark sort of abandoned them. And so this is where they had been. Now they resided in Antioch after the events we just read at the Jerusalem Council. And so they're now about to go on a second journey, which I'll show you in a minute. So, <coughs> back to my notes, Paul and Silas are now well on their way to the second missionary journey. Some years earlier, Paul had embarked from Antioch, traveled to Syria, and from there sailed to Cyprus, and you can leave this up, and then across the Mediterranean to the Aegean Sea to a place called region Paphos, specifically at Perga, and then on to Antioch of Pisidia, and then the city of Iconium and Lystra. And these cities were all located in modern-day Turkey. And this was representative of the gospel spread beyond the borders of Israel, beyond Syria, into what we would call the Western world. From there, the gospel would go on into Rome, and then to Spain, and then, you know, reached us. On this journey, uh, many people won to Christ, and churches were started, especially on the return journey. There, people were won to Christ and coming back. Churches were established, elders were appointed. And Paul and Barnabas started churches, but they paid a really high price for it in terms of physical suffering, in terms of persecution. In Antioch of Pisidia, the message Paul preached, as it did everywhere, stirred up trouble with the Jews. Now, Paul's manner was to go into the, um, the temples there, if you would, the place of the synagogues is the word I'm looking for, where the Jews gathered. And he'd go into the synagogues where people were practicing Judaism, but he would preach the gospel. And some heard this with re reception and were saved, but many were stirred up, as you can imagine they would be. This is an ancient religion they had practiced forever. And to this, maybe initially, minus the Holy Spirit's work in their heart, sounded like heresy. And so they were stirred up. So, unlike the Gentiles, the Jewish leaders in these cities um, were aggravated and they saw Paul's message as heresy. And they also saw what Paul said as threatening to their popularity. In other words, these guys are received, uh, preaching a message that's, man, sounds great, but we don't want people to walk away from our religion. So, in effect, from this place, they were chased out of town to the next city there uh, called Iconium. And um, they did the same thing. They preached there, and, but they were assaulted in this place. I don't know what degree, but they were assaulted. And then they fled from there into this region of Lystra and, uh, Lystra and Derby. Now, while preaching in this region, having been chased out of you know, at least two cities, and having faced some sort of assault that's nondescriptive for us, but sort of what the word is in the Bible, they preach in this region. But what happened is when they're in this region of Lystra and Derby, the Jews from Pisidia, Antioch, and Iconium followed them there. So these guys preached, people are saved, 
And the Jews get mad and chase them out of town. They go over here, the priest, people are saved. The Jews get mad. They're assaulted in some manner. And so they, they're now over here in the region of Lystra and Derby. But all these Jews that were behind them uh, organized in some fashion and followed them there. Okay? So they followed them to this region of Lystra and Derby. And there they organized, they fomented a, a riot, if you will. They literally fomented a riot. And they got all the people of the city all worked up. And guys were going crazy, yelling. And all of a sudden, Paul was dragged out of the city and stoned. And they left him for dead. They thought he was dead. And the Bible says that uh, some brothers gathered around him. And I know these were newly saved people. Maybe a, another small contingency that's not mentioned that traveled with Paul and uh, Barnabas. But he was stoned and left for dead. Some people prayed, gathered around him, and he rose up. And he just keeps on his, on his missionary journey. And Paul was a remarkable remarkable man. And so, when I read in chapter 15 that these men hazarded their lives for the sake of the gospel, that's what they're referring to. They had heard these stories. And so, uh, he, they go through all this. And, and, and so, it's fascinating to me, and I won't take you this far back, but as Paul's going through this and winning people to Christ, I think it's in chapter 14, verse 22, he basically says this, and by the way, um, you'll be called upon to, to suffer persecution for Christ. You can look it up. I think it's the right text. That's not how it's said, but that's the idea. And so that's how people are interested in Christianity. Hey, I'm Paul. I've been beat up. I've been stoned. Uh, people are chasing me. And don't you want to become a Christian like me? And they did. Because the message of hope was greater than the physical persecution they were uh, uh, suffering. And that's what we can't relate to here in the Western world very much. But that was that great of hope to them. And so then Paul begins to backtrack <coughs> on his missionary journey. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as he's doing this, um, now he is appointing elders in these places. So he's now appointed elders in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, the city of Antioch, and Pergia. And so now he's beginning to organize the church into you know, a semblance of what we might understand and, and see today. And so then he sails back and he finds his way uh, you know, back to Antioch and then to Jerusalem, rehearsing this wonderful story about how Gentiles and people are saved. When he gets all the way to Jerusalem, reporting back, there's the council that we talked about. And these Jews were demanding that these Gentiles be circumcised. They were arguing against that in some of the discussions we've already mentioned. James, Peter, Paul all agreed and persuaded the council not to do that. Saved by grace through faith alone. But I'm working my way to where we want to go. Um, in defense or in light of being considerate of Jews being saved... There were some decisions made. Now, Paul was saying, hey, be considerate of the, the Gentiles being saved. They're not Jews. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to practice Judaism. They need to serve Christ. But then there was another side of the story. Jews were being saved, right? Well, Gentiles, you can be considerate of them as well. You need to be thoughtful of, of those people and how you conduct yourself. And, and so there's this discussion what they should do. And the discussion was, uh, these, newly, um, these Gentiles ate meat sacrificed to idols. And what that means was, is that in these pagan temples, they did these rituals with, with these different animals. Then when the ritual was done, they would sacrifice it, and they would sell the meat at the public market. And the Jews were like, I have no part of that. Not kosher, and we don't do that. And the Gentiles were like, I don't care. It's just meat. You know, it's protein. We're going to eat it. Sacrifice idols. We don't believe in idols. We believe in Jesus Christ. 
And, and they didn't care about the secondary association for where it came from like the Jewish people did. And so they're saying to the Jews, to the Gentiles, hey, listen, we can be considered about that. If that offends them, don't do it. And by the way, this licentious behavior you've been engaging in your whole life in these temple practices and rituals, this immorality that's part of the pagan world, hey, let's stop that too. Right? And there's a whole series of moral teachings in the New Testament about that. But to these people, that was brand new teaching. They went to the temple before and engaged in sexual practices as part of their religion. And now it's like, don't do that. And, and so, you know, that offends the Jews too. And, and by the way, that, that offends the Lord. So let's not do any of that. And, and that's the information that was given to them is not to do that. And so they came back with this letter. Um, have was posted, and they're taking this back to Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas are happy about this. They reside there. And then they are called back again, and I rehearsed that last week. And um, so here's this thought. So Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas said, let's go back. And I'm going to focus on Paul now because we covered Barnabas. Paul said, let's go back. Okay. Yeah, we just read it. But think about that for a second. Paul said... Let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to Perga, where we were chased out of the, the city. And let's go back to Pisidia, Antioch, and Iconium. Hey, let's go back to Lystra and Derby, where they stoned me and left me for dead. Let's go back to the place where I was assaulted. Okay, now I, that just, I, we just moved through that so quickly that he had that thought. Like, well, yeah, what a great deal to go back on a missionary journey. Okay, if your kids went over to some place in a third world country, and they were chased out of the cities, they were beaten and stoned and left for dead. What would we say as a church? You have my blessings to go do that. Right? See, we giggle because that's absurd to us. But that's what they did. And they had the, there was the, the church in Antioch blessed this endeavor. I want you to understand there's a totally different mindset that we have today. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian, as you suffer, if that's what it takes to get the gospel to other people. And that, again, now look at me. I, I'm not being unkind. I want us to get how far removed we are of this. We can't decide if we want to go to outreach or not because it's going to be cold. You with me? Can you still be okay with me saying that? I'm just trying to say I'm not, I get it. But I'm just trying to put us in an early Christian mentality and attitude. This is the difference in their mindset. He was tough. He was resilient. And by the way, Paul was not the only one. He's probably a model of this. There was a tenacity about him. He chose to go back. And not to the churches that he helped, but he would, he would go on to other places as well, which we'll get to in a moment. It was a different mindset and one that we need to at least pause and consider today. It's interesting he taught the first Christians again, back in chapter 14, that mistreatment and persecution were the expected um, benefits or results of following Jesus. Not a message taught in contemporary Western Christianity. So in the text, Paul and Silas choose to go a different route, though. So now go to the second slide, guys, if you have that. Okay, so you can see a little bit of difference here. It's a larger view. So if you find here with me... Uh, my eyes are bad. Yeah, down at the bottom you see Jerusalem, and then you see uh, Antioch down there, uh, up there about 
the top of the Mediterranean Sea section there. So instead of sailing across to Cyprus and then onto Pergia, they go around on a land route. Now this is, we'll get to this later, that's super important because um, God would use this route then to halt them and move them on to Macedonia or Greece. And we'll get to that later, but sort of a big deal they went this way. Or what this means is, is God really took the conflict of Paul and Barnabas and the ways they would go because God actually had a big plan in the way he was going to use Paul to go this way and then to go the regions further on into Greece. The whole point of this is all things can work together to good for those who love God and are called according to purpose. And God works even in conflict and difficulty to get his purposes done. Another sermon, another day, but the route makes a difference. And we will talk about the continuing route for later. I just want you to see that part of it. Now, guys, take that off because that will be a distraction beyond that. Okay, thanks. So, Paul has to choose a different route to go back, and they traveled by land instead of sea. And again, God had a plan of this for them to go into Greece, what we'd call Macedonia, the Philippian church, is how we would know it. And that's a big reason why they did this. Okay, so the text tells us that. Um, they're going to go back to these places where they were beaten. Now, this is fascinating to me. So, put the picture back up. I'm so sorry, guys. This, this is not I zoomed in. But you, can you find Lystra and Iconium over there? So, you, you go around the corner of the, the sea, and then up just a little bit, you'll see Lystra. You probably can't. Can you guys read that from where you're at? Okay, thanks. This is where they, they, they kind of land. It's not first, but they get there. This, now no, look at it for a second. This is the place Paul was beaten. This is the place where Paul was stoned and left for dead. The whole city was stirred up. But why Paul and Bonner were there, they led people to the Lord. I can't tell you this directly, but it only makes sense that it worked this way. The, the people who were saved there probably included two Jewish ladies. You would know them as Lois and Eunice, right? These were Jewish ladies, most likely both widows, for reasons we don't know. They were widows, probably in the same house, and most likely Paul led them to the Lord when he, before he was beaten, or maybe after he was beaten. But here's the point, Lois and Eunice would have known that Paul was stoned, right? If someone was stoned in your city, rural city, you'd know about it. They all know about this. And there's a young man there who was also saved named Timothy. Okay? The son and, and, and grandson. Timothy probably knew, because this is just a couple years later, that Paul was stoned. So Paul's going back to the place of stoning, and he's going to people who knew he was stoned, and Paul sees Timothy there. And I don't know how old Timothy was. He could have been a teenager. He could have been his 20s. He was a young man. And Paul sees him and he inquires. And Timothy's growing the faith. And Paul said, hey, why don't you go with me on my exciting, adventurous journey? I'm just trying to put this in human context. We read these stories and we're not thinking about what's happened. So this mother and grandmother are relinquishing their son to a man who's just been almost stoned to death and has been chased everywhere and, and, and eventually they say, go. Again, what a different mindset. Now, are you sure it's safe, honey? You know, are, 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 I don't know if I, I'm not being unkind, 
It's just different. It's such a different mindset. These people knew all of this. And Paul asked Timothy to travel with him, probably to be mentored, and no doubt to replace John Mark to some degree. They initially had another companion. Uh, here Timothy is probably replacing John Mark in, in some way in terms of carrying the load. And, and he says, let's go. And, and so Lois and Eunice, evidently, who have no husbands, now think about this. This just keeps going. These were widow ladies. Who probably helped sustain them? The only man in the family, Timothy. And they still let him go. And he went. I mean, these are all sermons, aren't they? If you think about them. But they released him to go, and he trusted their care, probably some other people in, in, in the community. And all parties consented to this. And again, Timothy replaced John Mark. And so now, again, we see in all these circumstances the, the ministry of the Lord multiplying. And, uh, but now there's this information that he was a Jew. Okay. Um, so the text is very, it kind of makes this technical point. Oh, by the way, Timothy, who was saved, his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek. In Jewish law and custom, someone um, who had parentage really from either side, but most especially from the mother's side, if they were a Jew, they were considered a Jew by the Jews. Okay? Now, they would have been disparaged, maybe disparaged some, like the Samaritans were. But overall, the Jewish people in the regions around about, who for the most part, because Timothy was a reputation, had a great character, knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. The text says that, doesn't it? Okay, that's important. Because it says that people know that Timothy's father was a Greek, but the Jews think he's one of us. Okay, you're with me? Okay. And so, um, in the Jewish mind, if a young man is a Jew but has not been circumcised, he's apostate. That's where they view it. Well, you're a Jew, why you haven't been circumcised? Oh, you accept the Gentile religion. Well, I just think it's circumcised. No, in their minds, he was apostate. And so, with that thinking, we have a stumbling block and a roadblock now to Paul and to the effectiveness of Timothy's ministry. Right? Now, what do you say? Hold on a second. Aren't, aren't, wasn't your mother a Jew? Yes. And you're not circumcised. Okay, well, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You may not be able to wrap your brain around that, but that was the culture at the time. They, they, they wouldn't accept that of him. So, Paul says, um, Timothy, I want you to get circumcised. <laughs> okay, we all know what that means, right? Okay, look it up when you get home. Um, for a male in those days, a grown male with no anesthesia, that is not a pleasant procedure. You, you, you'll, if you go read your New Testament differently, again, with this in view, there are, there are proselytes in the Jewish religion, and then there are God-fearing Gentiles. All the God-fearing Gentiles were people who believed in Yahweh, but the men weren't brave enough to go get circumcised. So they were just God-fearers. The ones who were brave enough to get circumcised, well, they were, they were proselytes and 
considered Jews, but they just didn't want to do it. And so they said God-fearers instead of Jews for, for that reason alone. And um, I sort of get that. And so Paul says, let's do this. Okay, now let's just stop and time out. Didn't Paul just argue in Acts 15 that circumcision wasn't a necessary part of being saved? Right? He just argued for that. He fought for that at the Jerusalem Council. And you're saved by grace through faith. And by the way, he would later meet a man named Titus. And he, Titus became a mentor and a helper, and Titus did not get circumcised. Paul never asked that of him. But here's the difference. Titus had a Gentile mother and a Gentile father. He was thoroughly Gentile. Timothy was different because he was, he was half. This is crazy. But the Jewish people would rather hear a sermon from a full-blooded Gentile who has been saved than a, forgive me, a half-breed Jew-Gentile who wasn't circumcised. It's just, it's just a, it was just the biases of their culture. In other words, well, you're a Gentile, we don't expect you to be circumcised. But you're a Jew, you should. Okay, so this, it's, it's, it's leading us to maybe a kind of thinking. This is all culturally done. And so, let me just finish this. So the text goes on to say past that. And by the way, uh, as these, this trio of men, and probably more people, went to the rest of these cities, backtracking, um, they confirmed the churches. That means they edified the churches they were in. And those churches grew, and the gospel flourished. Okay? Those were kind of said almost as, like, very quickly. The, the gospel flourished. And you could do topical sermons out of that. But standing center in this text is the fact that Timothy was circumcised. And, and even the details why. Well, his father was a Greek, and they were going to Jews who knew him because he was well, well reported. And so it's like explaining why he was circumcised, because otherwise it could look as an inconsistency. Okay? And, and, and so um, I want to get to that. So the gospel preached, and I'm skipping notes, and let me see where I want to go. So, what I want to talk to you about in 10 minutes is this central portrait of this act of Paul and Timothy in getting this man circumcised. And I'm going to put a word to it that I, I, um, you know, I think would understand in this deference. It's a Christian principle of deference. In other words, not to needlessly offend someone or create a stumbling block because of a choice that we make about ourselves or for ourselves. I think this is obviously what's in view. And the reason I say obviously because this subject is, is, is discussed some, somewhat repletely in the New Testament. That's Timothy's, and I'll, say, I'll give him the credit for doing it, his act of deference, his willingness to do what was necessary not to be a stumbling block to those who are weak in faith. Deference and its necessity is in view and I think it's worth our time investigating in a few minutes. Many scholars have scrutinized Paul, criticized Paul for this decision. They see him as a hip, hypocrite, inconsistent. Well, you didn't do Titus, you did Timothy. Even though the Bible is very clear on the, on the differences between those men and others and, and what was happening in Acts 14 and 15. Um, they've even said, well, you know, Paul's guilty of the same thing that Barnabas and um, uh, Peter were in dissimulating with the Jews by not eating with the Gentiles you know, when they were in those cities with them. They're saying Paul is just as weak as them, but that's not what's in view here at all. Um, 
Yes, Paul argued in the council that men didn't have to be circumcised. Look here, to be saved. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But it doesn't mean that there aren't other contextual reasons to do it. And by the way, another sermon, insisting on absolute consistency minus context is juvenile. And but that's another sermon. Paul was not inconsistent. He maintained his whole life that someone is saved by grace through faith. That never was in view of Paul. Paul didn't ask this of Timothy to be saved. He asked him. He asked it to do it to get past the stumbling block it created for the Jews. So take your Bibles, really quickly, and turn to First Corinthians chapter nine. And we have to hurry, or this is going to be a two-part sermon. 1 Corinthians 9, and forgive me for not marking my place here, but 1 Corinthians 9. And Paul's having this discussion with the Corinthian church who, who struggled to defer to anything. Like they just, they just struggled to understand this precept. And so, Context real quickly. Paul was receiving gifts. Um, he was being re- remunerated, receiving, if you will, payment for his preaching and what he was doing. Okay? And some people in the Corinthian church said, well, that's not, that's not very spiritual to take money. You shouldn't take money for preaching the gospel. That's spiritual. And money is carnal. <laughs> we have those people still today. And so Paul says this. The Corinthians. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not, are you not my work in the Lord? You work to build things. I work to see people saved. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubts I am to you. For the seal of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. You're the proof of my work. Mine answer to them that examine me in this, who say I should be paid, have we not power to eat and to drink? In other words, how am I going to do that if you don't pay me? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as other apostles? In other words, he's saying, I have a right to lead a normal life if I want to. Or I and only in Barnabas, and this is why we know that Barnabas and Paul got back to reunited because he's mentioned here later in 1 Corinthians. Have we not power to forbear working? Who goeth on a warfare at any time of his own charge? Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Saith he things of a man? Or saith not the law the same thing also? For it is written the law of Moses, Thou shalt muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? And implying, not for me? They can tread the corn and eat from it, but you're asking me to work and not eat the, the fruits that I'm doing. Or saith it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he, hath the, he that ploweth should plow in hope. In other words, in the hope of payment. Verse 11, if we have sown you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap carnal things? It's an argument for paying the preacher. If others be partakers of this power over you, are we not rather? Other people are doing this, but you won't you complain at us. And then Paul says this. Nevertheless, we have not used this power. Okay, for the second time, here's what Paul says. 
don't pay me. Hey, if it bothers you, don't pay me. If, if you, you can't look at me with a good heart and good attitude, don't pay me. Now, I'm going to say go find another church. But anyway, I, um, Paul says don't pay me. And I'm just kidding. But it's his attitude. Okay. And, and he wasn't being facetious. And we know this because he didn't take the payment. I'm not going to let you accuse me of being someone who, who's, who, who's improper. I'll go make tents instead. Because I can do that. I'd rather make tents and do double labor than you pay me with a bad attitude. So what was he doing? He was actually the principle of deference. Um, I, I'm not going to do that. In verse 12, you know, he, he pivots real hard there. and says, I'm not going to do this. Look real quickly, verse 14 of that same chapter. He says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that should be done so to me. For if it were better for me to die... And that any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. And he says, well, if I don't preach the gospel. And so he says, I won't do this. And then verse 19, for though I be free from all men, here's deference, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Look up here. I can do what I want. But I won't, if it hurts you. If taking your money hurts you, I'm not going to do it. If wearing a suit offends you, to a degree, I won't. If I'm in Saudi Arabia, I might wear the garb of that. You with me? Yes, sir. There's, there's, there's limits that aren't in view in this sermon. But the point is, he, he makes this case, verse 20. And unto the Jew, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, that are under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Now some people say, oh, that's, that's an excuse for, you know, to go into the bars and winning people who are in the bar. Well, if you, you don't drink and all you do is preach, okay, maybe. Well, this is, this is, this is reason we, we, we dress down in casual because it relates. That, that's such small thinking. Um, now, some relevant is it becoming some like to win someone. Amen. Relevant is having a message that's meaningful to them. Right. A sick man doesn't need a sick, a sick man for relevance. A sick man needs a whole man to give him medicine. Right. Okay, again, so keep what's in view here. What's in view is deference. If, if, if wearing these shoes offends you in some culture, I'll take them off at the door if I'm in an oriental culture. That's what he's saying. Right. He's not talking about... Uh, Compromising, he's talking about uh, deferring is the principle. That's what is in view here. And this, it just keeps going. Turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. And look with me in verse 1. Is everybody doing okay? Okay, I'm, I'm speed doing, but here we go. Him that is, <coughs> I hear pages, Romans 14. Deference again. Him that is weak in faith receive ye, but not in doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servants? 
To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be pulifers with his own mind. And that's a great sermon right there. But before you allow some privilege or liberty to yourself, you better be persuaded before God that it's okay. He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord. And he that regardeth it not uh, the day to the Lord, he regardeth it not. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he eateth not uh, to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. And then this is just such a simple principle. For none of us liveth to himself, or to any man dieth to himself. Forgive me, you cannot live, you don't live on an island. And you may not like this, but your rights and privileges need to be curbed by your concern for other people. Well, I'm Troy Durrell, the man, I do what I want to. Yeah, but I also, grew, I also had seven kids and I curbed my behavior. And by that, I don't mean from some uh, great immorality. I was just thoughtful in the way I live because I had seven people viewing me. Like not a rocket scientist to get this. And you're looking at me. And that's fair. And I'm looking at you, by the way. It works, it works in both directions. You can't live this, well, I can. I don't care what people think. That is incredibly spiritually immature. Amen. For whether we live, we live in the Lord. And whether we, we die, we die in the Lord. Whether we live or we die, therefore we're the Lord's. And so, verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block for an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And so here's what Paul, this is what Paul was teaching. This is what the Jerusalem Council decided to tell the Gentiles. Don't do things that hurt the Jews. And Jews, don't do things that hurt the Gentiles. And both of you limit your freedoms out of love for somebody else. I know, Paul, I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Talking about me primarily. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him is unclean. But... That's how I feel. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. If you're saying, deal with it. You need to grow up and get more mature. It's just meat. That's not charitably. Destroy not him for thy meat for whom Christ died. And then how about this? Let not then your good be evil spoken of because they don't understand it. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not your privileges and rights. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so he goes on and, and talks about the importance of these things. And, um, oh, these are just too good. Verse 19, let us therefore uh, follow after the things which make for peace. Verse 20, for meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man that eateth with offense. That's clear. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything. Should I pause or just go on? No, I'm talking to some people. Okay, I'll move on. Whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You with me? Yes, it's too quiet now. You stop breathing. <laughs> Hast thou faith? Okay. And look at me again. 
talking to the same people. Have it to yourself. And don't proselyte other people to your preferences. Especially if they're questionable. You with me? It's not a big deal to drink that, to do that, to watch that, to see that. It's not a big deal. It is the Lord. And if it hurts them, it's a big deal. So don't. And if you're going to do it, do it to your, for yourself. Not in the presence of other people. We all in agreement about that? Is that not what the text says? I think that's what it says. Hast thou faith, liberty, permission? Well, have it to yourself. Verse 22. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the things which he alloweth. <laughs> this is just so clear. You're a big boy and you want to do that? Okay, do it at home in private. Don't need to go to that the restaurant. Don't need to go to that in front of public. Don't need to have little groups of people to do that together. Because you don't know who's in that group or whatever else. God forbid that you hurt somebody. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. Now you, you're already saying there, you do this and this person over here doesn't quite get it. You put him in a really bad spot. So whatsoever knows faith is sin. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. First Corinthians 6, you should read that. Verse Corinthians 6 really posed the question, um, you know, it posed the question, is not can I, but should I? Not can I, but should I? See, grace sets men free, but free to honor God. It's still our duty to honor our Savior, to be salt and light, not just in the words we say, but the way we live, especially in a world who doesn't understand everything. Grace sets us free to strengthen ourselves so that we can defer to those who are weaker. So if I could encourage things in two minutes, live with others' opinions gracefully. Okay? You don't have to prove a point because of things you can do. You don't have to prove a point. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to prove a point, I'm going to question your conscience. Or otherwise, just be settled and go on. But if you've got to prove a point, you're probably guilty. Unless someone's asking. And then you better be careful you want to give that advice. So, in rapid succession. It's better to ask what is right with something than what is wrong with it. It is better to ask what is right with something than what is wrong with it. What is wrong with it has the sounds of junior high. Is it expedient? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging? No, what's wrong? What's right? It's better to consider how your actions affect other people than how you feel about it. Doesn't bother me. Good for you. Doesn't bother them. Well, I have to curb myself because you're the grown-up here spiritually. Love must take precedent over liberty. Always. Consider what you may be able to do <clears throat> could harm someone else. Yield, <clears throat> yield for unity when, you're, when your yielding doesn't offend your conscience. 
Now, for you to say I don't like it is not offending your conscience. To say that stinks is not offending your conscience. To say that's hard and it's like I'm always deferring, that's not offending conscience. That's just gathering strength to be stronger than the weaker person who it hurts. Defer for the greater good, not for personal benefit. I like this one for marriages. You ready? Try to be more collaborative than directive. <laughs> I'm going to say that one again. Try to be more collaborative than directive. We're going to go do this, this, and this, and this. How about, hey, these are the things I would like to do. What do you want to do? Now, that's a really slow illustration, but that's true in the home. That's true at the workplace. If you're a leader, it doesn't hurt you to be collaborative to a degree. I'm not, don't confuse um, deference with leadership. They're not one the same thing, but leadership can include deference. And it's always right to be collaborative when you can. And I'm done. This is pretty serious stuff. This is, this is mature Christianity. But the, the Lord doesn't leave us guessing on the grown-up responsibility it takes to practice deference. And the more you do it, the more grown-up you'll be. And I just think we all could use a little more of this. All right, let me ask you a stand. <laughs> Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? And my voice just barely made it.